Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My name is Lucas Pesa. This is Pardon My Ignorance, a podcast to help you think a little bit differently about complicated social, political, and business topics. And today we're going to be talking about the American and Canadian healthcare systems. And I'll be joined today by two great guests. I'll be joined by Dr. Aslan Effendizadeh and Dr. Max Kretcher. Aslan fulfilled his medical degree at Michigan State University and is currently doing his residency training in diagnostic radiology in New York City. And Max is also from Michigan State University and is currently working out of Detroit Medical Center. We're going to be talking about a lot of things from how the medical system is actually structured, how the healthcare system is actually structured, how it can be divided in both the United States and Canada, the limitations of actual health insurance that a lot of people may not always be aware of, the relationships that we may not know exist between hospitals and insurance companies, and a really important component of the conversation that we're going to get to is what we as actual healthcare consumers should be aware of when it comes to not only the healthcare industry, but what we actually have access to, how the industry is structured, the relationships that exist internally, and how that affects us as actual consumers of the actual healthcare. So make sure you stick around for the whole episode. There's a lot of great insights. Enjoy, guys. Thanks for having us, Lucas. Thank you. So guys, Pardon my ignorance, but I actually don't know a whole lot about the healthcare industry and whether that refers to Canada or the United States. Um, so I guess to get us kicked off, one thing that I'd be curious to learn about from you guys is the overall structure of the healthcare system, how healthcare is actually categorized, what you feel the overall structure of it is, how it's built, um, what are your uh, observations from a financial standpoint for the actual patients, uh, just an overall structural analysis of the healthcare system in both Canada and the U.S. What are your thoughts? Well, so just to get something straight, I mean, Max here, he's got a good background in the U.S. healthcare system because he's trained here. And I've grown up in Canada, as you know, and I did, I'm doing and have done my education and training in the U.S. So I kind of have a bit of an understanding of both sides. The biggest difference is that I know of and what I've perceived is a matter of cost and efficiency. So I think in the U.S., uh, healthcare is that's a it's a broad topic and it exists on a pretty large spectrum. And so you could be talking about healthcare in the sense of general wellness, general well-being. Um, how good does someone feel on a day-to-day basis? Are they waking up healthy? Do they feel um, energized? Are they aches and pains? Or you could say on the other end of the spectrum, people with very severe chronic diseases, acute illnesses, acute injuries, and that side of medicine. Yeah, there's like, you know, you know, like he's saying, there's like a huge spectrum of illness and healthcare uh, access. Like, for example, you, in, in Canada, and I've had experiences like this, and maybe, Lucas, you've had experiences like this or with your family or maybe yourself personally, but like whenever I have an injury or a family member has an injury that requires what seems to be immediate healthcare attention, we just go to the ER, right? And oftentimes the wait times of that ER would be long, but at the end of it, you come out, you know, with some understanding of what happened to you, what kind of damage has been done and what you need to do to take care of it. And you don't pay a bill at the end of it. Where here, what I've observed, or I, you know what, why don't I just go from personal experience myself? My wife, you know, last year, while when we moved to the US, she cut her hand with a knife, with some kitchen knife. So my, my immediate reaction 
Now, maybe this is a biased reaction I have because I'm from Canada. My immediate reaction was, what is this going to cost me? And is it worth driving over to Ontario for her to get her medical attention there? And the conclusion I came to was yes, because Ontario was not very far from where I was. And we still had OHIP because we're not, you know, we're not, we're not U.S. citizens. We're still Ontarians. And it got taken care of within, I believe, like an hour. And we came out of there without having to pay anything. Whereas here, I mean, Max and I have both worked in ERs and our understanding and our understanding is from the people we've talked to there, both the nurses, the physicians, the patients, that just being in the emergency room, you're racking up a bill that's at least in the thousands. And then based on what they have to do for you afterwards, whether it's tests, treatments, or an admission to the hospital itself because of the seriousness of what's happened to you. It, I mean, it takes off from there. Now, however much of that cost a person gets stuck with varies. It varies on who your insurance provider is. It varies on the specific policies in place. So you could get stuck with the whole bill or you could get stuck with a fraction of the bill. And that just, that just depends on your coverage. But I think most people don't end up leaving there stress-free after the medical emergency has been taken care of because then there's there's a financial burden to bear walking out the door absolutely and and you know obviously there's this is a very very big and and complicated and uh intricate spiderweb of, of subtopics and you know there's a lot of things that you touched on you know even in that introduction that we'll probably touch on a little bit in more detail a little bit further in the conversation um max quick question for you so one thing that you guys were just talking about was you know the overall structure of the healthcare system uh you know sort of differences between canada and the united states in general it, it seems like a very complex and convoluted system as you guys even just were alluding to a little bit just now are there any particular things that you think patients in general or, or people within uh, who, who receive healthcare? do you think that there are certain things that people in general just don't understand? Do you think there are a lot of misconceptions about the healthcare industry? Do you think people perceive it in a way sometimes that is inaccurate? Um, because it does seem like a very big subject and it seems very easy to get confused or to, to misunderstand certain things. So do you see any real uh, misperceptions on the patient side? So I think in the U.S., it's of the general opinion. You know, I don't have a, uh, a background in public health, so it's hard to say statistically what what it is but there's a general opinion that healthcare is always readily available and that whatever you need you can always have but there's not much open discussion on the other end of what the cost of that's going to be and i think that's kind of where there's a gray area and there's some disconnect and in canada i know from our side in the u.s there's a general like not consensus but a general thought that people in canada have to wait too long for medical care mm-hmm and so I don't know. And that seems to be always the argument that you hear yeah. against Canadian medical care is it's free, but you can never get anything. Which yeah. is here, you can get whatever you want, but it's not free, but you don't talk about that part of it. Yeah. Even though that part of it also exists here. Right. Like in Canada, if you need to get an appointment, you're going to wait how long? A month, two months, some arbitrary length of time that would be quote unquote too long to wait. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if it, we can actually flesh that out a bit because ever since I've been in the U S and talking to physicians and mm -hmm. talking to patients and, you know, just my colleagues, it's amazing what I hear about where I'm from 
from people that don't have experience there <laughs> because they all have like these these anecdotes you know that anecdotes, they've heard from absolutely. a family member or a friend or some acquaintance that you know or the or the internet yeah mm -hmm. and they tell me these things like you know if you go into the hospital with x and y complaint and then they say you need certain type of tests to make a diagnosis or determine what to do you're going to be waiting months just to get that test result and then maybe years to have an appointment with the appropriate specialist to have that taken care of and honestly i have not i mean i've had experiences with hospitals my family has had experience with hospitals and surgeries and i've had personal experiences with specialists and diagnostic tests that have to be done the worst complaint i heard was i believe my father complained about some wait time before he could see a urologist about some prostate related thing i mean one of the things that people don't seem to have a grasp on in the general public is the concept of triaging and the whole point of triaging is some sort of trained medical professional determines how severe it is, whatever ailment or complaint you have, and what is the proper time frame with which to address it. Based on how it's triaged, like in the ED, when you go to the ED, you'll see a triage nurse and you'll tell them your complaint. And from that complaint, there will be communication with the ER staff as to how urgent it is that that a physician see you and things be done, right? The same thing occurs, at least in Canada. I don't know about the US because I haven't seen specialists in the US. The same thing occurs with, with, with imaging in a hospital, with diagnostic tests, with consultations to specialists. But because people have to wait a time, they assume that things are bad because they had to wait or it's unacceptable because they had to wait. But what they don't appreciate, and I think they need probably better education on the health complaint that they come with, maybe from their family doctor or whoever it is that initially had encountered them as to the severity of, his, of what they have and how worried they should be. Because you could come in with something very benign, but you don't know that it's benign and no one tells you, but they do tell you that you have to wait five months to see someone, for example, let's say that that's the case. I mean, you, if you think that it's bad, you'd be outraged. You think, oh my God, I'm sick. I need, I need medical attention but I can only see, I can only get that medical attention in five months. I think in every field and in every discipline, there's always going to be a, a group of, of people who have those sort of uh, sorts of preconceived notions and uh, misconceptions for a lot of the reasons you guys mentioned. They hear it from people that they trust. They, they research it on the internet from a, a source that may not be accurate in its uh, information delivery. So there's always going to be, I believe, a, a sort of group of uh, people who don't necessarily have all of the information that they need to make um, informed opinions, so to speak. So I, I think that, you know, it's clear not just in, in healthcare, but in a lot of different disciplines that people have to be 100% informed before obviously uh, formulating opinions that are very, uh, in some cases, uh, you know, strong and, and, and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, we can definitely all agree on that. Um, let's talk about uh, insurance for a minute, uh, particularly, you know, healthcare coverage in Canada. Um, Aslan, obviously, you know, you grew up in Canada and I currently live in Canada and, you know, the Canadian healthcare system is, I, I mean, as far as I can see, um, it's sort of perceived as a very, you know, it's very accessible and it gives, uh, you know, it's highly um, well regarded throughout the world. Um, in your opinion and, and in sort of your assertions, observations, um, in terms of the limitations of it, because a lot of people have a real um, strong opinion of how, how good the Canadian healthcare system is and, and you know, rightly so. Um, in terms of limitations, though, 
what are the limitations of healthcare in Canada? Are there any limitations to healthcare in Canada? So let's say you have some high blood pressure or some high cholesterol and you need to have regular checkups. And let's say that that regular checkup is you go to the doctor, he checks your vitals, he runs some blood tests, you know, like your lipids and all these other things that might go along with whatever else it is that you have going on. Insurance will cover that, let's say, in Canada and in the US. However, there's a frequency with which the insurance will cover those tests. So let's say that you have that test done once a year or once every six months, depending on the insurance and the preventative quote unquote healthcare coverage they provide, that'll be, that'll be covered. But let's say you do that test like once a week or once a month. Well, at that point it's deemed unnecessary and you're going to probably have to foot the bill. In the case of that same patient in Canada, when I need a test, for example, for my family doctor, he writes me a script for a test. I take it to the lab, they do the test, and you know sometimes I pay for it and sometimes I don't. And that's determined by certain guidelines. That's determined by you know frequency of these tests. So it just is dependent on how closely it, it adheres to management guidelines of that, say, disease or health problem in question. So let's take the example of Ontario. We have OHIP, which is the insurance policy that's bought into by taxpayers and a certain amount of our taxes go towards covering certain health costs. Um, that doesn't cover everything, as you might imagine. For example, <coughs> it covers you going to a doctor, going to a hospital, having tests and treatments and all these things done, but there are limitations. So for example, if you need a surgery that's life-saving or in some way affects your overall well-being, that'll be covered. What won't be covered is if you want if you want to do what's called an elective procedure. So if something is elective, chances are it won't be covered unless a case can be made for why it's good for your overall health. Well, I mean, the most common one I can I know of is certain cosmetic things being fixed because it can have an effect on your mental health, and that's not without its validity. But there's some and and, and you know that's also true here in the U.S. Like having worked with plastic surgeons here, I've there's been cases where they had to make the case to a certain insurance provider, whether it's the government provided insurance in the US or private insurance companies, that it was that it was necessary for the patient's well-being so that it gets covered by the insurance and they don't have to pay the whole bill out of pocket. So that that exists in Canada. The other thing is, depending on the problem you have, the healthcare issues you have, your medication that you need, the prescriptions you need may or may not be covered. In my case, I've never had prescriptions that I didn't have to pay out of pocket for, whether it's antibiotics or whatever other types of treatments that you need, you know, painkillers, antibiotics, anti-inflammatory medications, all those things. I've always had to pay out of pocket. My family's always had to pay out of pocket. Then there's things like vision and dental and, you know, all these other, let's call them accessory medical care, but it's not really accessory. So in the case of dental, let's say if you have a dental emergency, that's going to affect your health. Like um, you've got like an infection in your tooth that can spread. Chances are that'll get covered. Now it depends on the particulars of your situation, but chances are that'll be covered by OHIP. But if it's not, if it's not something that's severe, like getting your wisdom teeth pulled, you're going to pay for that out of pocket, depending on if you have any extra insurance other than the one that's provided by OHIP. And then once you have done all that, there's also a whole other realm of healthcare that may or may not be covered. 
So let's say you need some physical therapy. That was my question. Depending on the insurance you have, that may or may not be covered. Now, I've never been in a position where I needed physical therapy, but my father has. And I know what he had to do was he actually had accessory insurance from his job that covered it. So there's a lot of things that it doesn't cover in Canada. But the things that the things that you don't want to have to think about in the middle of an urgent healthcare problem, they're usually covered, like almost 100% of the time. Uh, I'm, I mean, I don't, I can't think of a situation where I was really worried about something that was going on with my health or with one of my family members. And I've had family members who've had health issues on a spectrum, everything from my knee hurts to extensive, extensive surgeries that needed a lot of things to be done even after the surgeries were done, like a lot of post-operative care. And most of the stuff was covered, but the things that weren't covered, the common theme is like medication certain types of, you know, therapy, alternative therapies, uh, equipment, like medical devices, things like that. Okay. So in terms of procedures that are necessary for your overall health well-being, for the most part, that will be covered by insurance or, or excuse me, by, by OHIP. Um, but when it comes to things like elective procedures or things that um, are not covered by OHIP, those obviously come out of pocket. I mean, how aware do you think people actually are about the differences between OHIP and other types of coverage in Canada? I mean, do you think that people even know what the differences are? I would put my money on a lot of people not knowing what the differences are and not knowing that a difference exists. A substantial enough of percentage of the population such that it'll have some sort of effect on people. Now, what an elective procedure is versus what is what is not elective is a matter of the specialty you're in and a matter of the time frame with which they're talking. Now to give a very basic example, an elective procedure is let's say you want a breast augmentation or breast implants. That's elective. Like almost hundred percent of the time that's considered elective unless you, you know, you like suffered some hideous accident where there's been some irreparable damage to your breasts and it's having like a psychological effect on you of some sort or having a, like an effect on your overall health, that's almost 100% of the time elective. You've elected to have that procedure. Now there's also gray areas. Like let's say you need, let's say your knee hurts and you feel like your knee needs to be repaired. But the orthopedic surgeon thinks, well, your knee is fine for now, but further down the line, we'll probably have to do something. Either do some shaving or replace the knee altogether. But as far as he's concerned, at the moment, your knee is doing better now than it would if they replaced it or did something to it. So as far as he thinks, and based on his expert you know, assessment, you don't need it right now. So if you were to push for it, that would be considered elective, I believe. So something that you want just because you want it as a patient, not because it was medically deemed necessary by either the provider or the insurance provider, you consider it elective. Or guidelines. Or a guideline. Yeah. Because there are a lot of the times the, the decisions that healthcare providers make, they're either determined or informed by guidelines. And guidelines are just essentially the best decision to be made based on the evidence that's presented in the medical literature and you know research that's been done on certain ailments and mm-hmm. management protocols. across like the largest population. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so essentially, yeah, when it comes to procedures that are necessary for 
the overall well-being of the patient. Typically, that'll be covered by OHIP, but you know, you obviously have to pay very close attention when it comes to things that are not covered by OHIP and and what repercussions that might have on what you need to pay for and that kind of thing. Um, Max, let's turn to the United States for a second because um, you know, obviously, the United States has a very um, interesting way of, of providing healthcare. The healthcare industry is obviously huge in the U.S. What's your overall take on healthcare coverage in the United States? Are there any sort of ways that um, I- I- insurance companies in the in the United States can sort of evade paying or providing coverage to their insurers? Coverage here is such a big issue that it's almost impossible to get into. I think. There's a disconnect between people even knowing what they're covered on, mm. uh, what the different insurances offer, what the government deems is required to be included in each type of insurance plan, mm. um, and what the cost is for what you even want. And uh, oftentimes in medicine, cost really isn't even addressed in the United States until after the fact, I think. Yeah. So Yeah, and, and then the other thing to touch to, on is to like touch the on idea it. of groups, like you groups. have group coverage. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so if you have a certain type of insurance, then there's a certain group yeah. of practitioners and healthcare facilities that gets covered to some extent. And then there's like out, out of group coverage that isn't covered as well. And by as well, I mean a percentage of the cost. Right. Is that mm-hmm. like HMOs and yeah, there are, which I don't, which like the, they're a whole thing on themselves and they're all dependent on the specific insurance you're looking at regional differences like for example the insurance we have here throughout the hospital in in michigan it covers if you go within the network of the hospitals that are within the institution that's providing it for you or within the network of the physicians that are employed by the institution or outside and the amount of coverage you'll get will depend on that so if i were to go to one physician let's say within the network, I'd pay maybe 10% or out of pocket or mm-hmm. a certain, you know, like deductible. But then if I go outside, I might have to pay anywhere from 20 to 50 to everything. Mm-hmm. It's almost hard to even generalize it. Yeah. Because it's so vast. And, and that's just the coverage we're talking about. Like what percentage of the cost is covered and what deductible you're paying. We're not even getting into how much the execution of the healthcare costs. And that's not just insurance dependent. That's insurance and provider dependent in combination because insurance companies have certain agreements with different providers and different hospitals in different parts of a state and different parts of a city as to how much they're willing to cover a certain thing that a hospital or a practice does. Let's say I go to a doctor and I'm getting, it doesn't even have to be specific. I want to get X procedure done or X um, medication the specific provider may determine that my service costs however much money. And at that point, as a patient who has insurance, your insurance provider may determine, well, that, that procedure or that medication may cost Y amount of money. And then you get into a kind of scenario where what does it cost and who is paying for it after that, essentially. Yeah. There's like a negotiation. negotiation. So, like another example would be, say you go to one hospital and they do an x-ray for whatever. Let's say you mm-hmm. have a, you hurt your leg, they do an x-ray and they bill your insurance company $200, just whatever, which for example, they say. determine that that's because that insurance company has agreed with that hospital that they can bill that amount of money for that, for that test. But if you go to a hospital, let's say five minutes away down the road, 
they're going to bill a different amount. And the insurance company is going to pay a different amount because they have a pre-arranged agreement as to how much. And then there's pre-arranged agreements, and then there's also what the insurance company has deemed was appropriate. So if the hospital did something and they bill for something that the insurance company thought, well, this is inappropriate, they can decide to not cover it, and then the patient gets stuck with the bill. This can be almost interpreted as a, a sort of ethical question because um, essentially you're choosing which types of uh, even geographic locations um, your you know your patients or the people that you are supposed to be insuring for healthcare are, are limited to. I mean, basically, if you're in this very specific network of hospitals that the insurance companies uh, just so happen to have prearranged agreements with, you'll pay one price. But it seems almost even that, even when that is the case, insurance companies can almost still debate about whether or not they should actually be paying for the procedures or the medications that you know they deem unnecessary. It's become arbitrary because it, it's hard to factor in each patient's individual need versus a calculated population need. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, and 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 it does actually touch on the ethical. Because if say you if you have let's say chest pain and you call an ambulance and that ambulance takes you to one hospital, you're gonna pay a certain amount. Take you to another hospital, you're gonna pay a different amount. But you know, the common anecdote is here, when you're having a heart attack, you don't have time to determine which hospital it is you should get transmitted to and how to convey that message in the middle of a heart attack to the EMS responders. They'll take me here because my insurance covers this one and they'll charge me X and Y amount versus the other place. So it's just going to take you to the closest place available that has a bed available and that has the instrumentation available for them to take care of, let's say, a heart attack. So there are ethical dilemmas that come with that. And are people forced to pay the entire cost of, you know, whether it's a healthcare procedure or, or a surgery or whatever, are they forced to pay it all out at once? Because it seems like if some, obviously some procedures can be extremely expensive, um, you know, particularly in the U.S., so when it comes to actually paying, is it one transaction where the entire sum is paid all at once? Or are there sort of ways that the the industry can allow people to make almost like, you know, financing deals? Or is there a way that, you know, the payment of the procedure can be structured in a way that it doesn't all have to be paid for at the same time, but instead it can be, you know, paid in increments or something like that? When I was working with plastic plastic surgeons here in Michigan, mm -hmm. they would tell them up front, you know, we can do this procedure, but it's going to cost you this much. And chances of your insurance covering it is mm -hmm. very low. So this is what you're going to have to pay out of pocket. And we're talking in the thousands. Or let's say there's like Botox that needs to be done or some sort of cosmetic mm -hmm. minor thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're paying for that out of pocket. Most clinics, I think, are pretty good about helping, especially ones that run on patients that pay out of pocket, like plastic surgeons uh -huh. and cosmeticians. They're pretty good about developing payment plans for their healthcare costs. So it's kind of like getting a, you know, like a mortgage on a healthcare procedure. But I guess it's really back to the elective and urgent dichotomy. Right. So maybe, maybe in a clinic where it's largely uh, a pay out of pocket population that they'll develop some protocol to address medical costs. Versus if you're somewhere where it's largely insurance covered or uh, preventative or, or, or broad spectrum of medicine, maybe that, that wouldn't come up as frequently. And how aware do you think the average patient or the average healthcare consumer 
is of all of these things. You know, the deals between hospitals and insurance companies, um, you know, the, the payment structures, uh, the actual limitations of their own healthcare. Um, how aware do you believe the average consumer is of all of these things? Average person? Not aware at all. Really? No, not really. I mean, maybe, maybe even I could compare it to just how this equally aware as you may be of what your auto policy covers. Like if I get hit in a parking lot versus if I crash into someone, do I know what I'm going to have to pay on that bill? Probably not. And that would be the same with healthcare coverage. I think it's just something that's over the head of a lot of people and kind of just, you know, for whatever reason, maybe it's not accessible. Maybe it is, maybe um, it's intentionally complicated. Maybe um, I don't have time to look at my auto insurance or care because I'm not in an accident now. It's a really big issue there. Well, I don't know that like, so I've had to pick health insurance in the U.S. and you have to pick health insurance in the U.S. And a lot of the things that, the things I look at when I'm trying to pick an insurance uh, plan in the U.S. was the same things that I looked at when I was picking my car insurance, just to continue with the analogy. Mm -hmm. And that's like, what is it costing me now? What is it costing me in perpetuity? And what is it going to cost me when I have a problem? Mm -hmm. the, it, the problem is, I mean, it's not like as straightforward as let's say your car you know with car policies you go a few a few categories like how bad is the collision mm -hmm. what is going to be the estimated cost of repair mm -hmm. and whether or not there's like provincial or state or like national rules on at fault you know coverage mm -hmm. which just means you know like if you are the person who caused it then you're gonna have to your premium is gonna go up or you're gonna have to pay something but if you can prove that you're not at fault then there's no effect on your insurance policy let's just for, take that for example that's just a car my concern is that when picking an insurance policy and just looking at the numbers of the costs whether it's the cost you're paying up front the cost you're paying in perpetuity the cost that you're going to pay when you have healthcare problems how familiar are people with healthcare problems and the potential problems they can have and how informed are they to make a decision about a policy based on healthcare knowledge and, you know, lingo and terms they're completely unfamiliar with mm -hmm. like that. It should be a more involved process. You, you shouldn't be buying insurance from someone who's trying to sell you insurance. You should get those policies that are available for you to purchase, take them with you to, let's say your primary care doctor and have an appointment, for example, where you're just getting consultation on the appropriate insurance plan to pick. But I have a sneaking suspicion that's not what happens. Exactly. And and I find that, you know, people who sell a certain product will always lean on that product when it comes to, you know, solving whatever problem that needs to be solved. You know, the you know, the the doctor will always want you to use a scalpel, the, the pharmacist will always want you to use medication. So, you know, obviously people do need not just in healthcare and but in all industries when they're purchasing products, you have to be very careful about when you're actually making a purchase that the person who's you know advising you on what product you specifically need to purchase doesn't have you know a vested uh interest in it themselves um let's talk about access to healthcare for a second um in canada um do the big cities because obviously healthcare is such a big industry that it's a global community when it comes to you know the healthcare practices and, and such but obviously when it comes to all businesses healthcare included I mean, big metropolitan areas, big cities have, 
you know, a draw factor. When people graduate from any kind of programs, you know, finance, you know, business, whatever it is, big cities typically are where the big opportunities are for people to develop and get into, you know, big, you know, infrastructures, big organizations, etc. When it comes to healthcare, do big cities almost have a monopoly on the healthcare industry? What I mean by that is, are healthcare resources spread out in Canada enough that all people in all um, sizes of different cities, when big cities, small cities, do people in general, do all consumers have equal access? Or would you say that there's a predominant um, presence of better healthcare in the big cities? I have no doubt that in certain areas of Ontario, people have limited access to healthcare. Just people don't want to live there, or let's say doctors don't want to live there. Most doctors, when they more let's say medical student, when they apply for training and they apply for work, they target the major cities, and there's good reasons for that. One of those reasons is that lots of major institutions and hospitals are there, so they go there for good training, and then once they're done with their training, they end up you know maybe liking the environment, maybe not, and then they end up living and working there. So healthcare, like general population of you know cities, tend to cluster. So you might have people in the outskirts of Ontario who don't have the same type of access to healthcare. So they might, their options would be to either wait or to travel to a place where there is healthcare. So I'm not, I don't entirely doubt the stories that I hear here that someone, let's say from Windsor went to Detroit or somewhere in Michigan, but the context I'm always a little bit suspicious of. I think to an extent, regardless of where medicine is practiced anywhere in the world, there's always going to be some aspect of needing to go to a bigger center or a bigger city or a more populated area, just because as diseases get more complicated and more nuanced, you're going to encounter a situation where there's less and less providers that are knowledgeable in that field. So you're eventually going to kind of, if you go down that rabbit hole, find yourself in an area where there is going to only be a handful of people that know, and naturally those people are going to be in an area with most access to most people. Yeah, because there are some things that need attention by such an experienced specialist that you're no longer talking about referral outside of your town or your city. You might be talking about referral outside of your country or continent. And is there anything that, that the healthcare industry actually does to try to make sure that all cities, big and small, have equal access? Is there a way that they're trying to prevent all of the best doctors and all of the best access to healthcare from clustering in these big cities? Like, is there a, a, an effort by the industry to make sure that all cities and all people have equal access? Or is it, I mean, obviously it's a very difficult thing to, to think about because, you know, like all businesses, the big cities are where all the big companies are in every industry. So it's difficult to, you know, not be attracted to that environment when all of the big opportunities for development and career growth, you know, they all tend to be in those big cities. Um, does the healthcare industry do anything to make sure that the best doctors and the best medical knowledge is spread out? Well, one of the things I've seen in the Canadian market, and I think there's analogous problems in the U.S. market, is the issue of clustering. Like we just talked about earlier, mm -hmm. medical expertise tends to cluster in major cities. It's just the way it goes. And the rate at which medicine is evolving now than it did, let's say, like 30 years ago, I think 
is faster than it did before. So if there's been a divide in terms of how accessible certain types of healthcare are in smaller communities versus, versus more clustered communities, I think that trend is only going to get worse. And I think that that's been recognized and there's been attempts at trying to remedy that. So for example, one of the ways that it's being remedied is a lot of the efforts and not just efforts, but the availability of work and training positions for physicians who are in training in Canada, but they are foreign medical graduates. That's the term IMG or FMGs, international slash foreign medical graduates. Those graduates are put into training programs and essentially mandated that if they want to practice medicine in Canada, they have to spend a certain amount of their time practicing in areas where people have less access. And that's true for foreign graduates and for local graduates. Now, the details there get a little bit hairy. So let's say I'm a local graduate, which means I went to medical school in Canada. I'm going to be doing my training in Canada and then practicing in Canada. For that person, they have the option of spending a few years or however much they like working in an underserved community. That's, I guess, the technical term for it, an underserved community. And if that's the case, there's certain, there's certain incentives for those people who choose to do that. But if let's say I'm an international graduate, then not only am I more likely to obtain a training position in an area that's underserved, but more than likely I will be mandated that I have to practice a certain number of years in, the, in those underserved communities before I can go anywhere else in Canada. So I think that's one way that they're trying to combat that disparity that exists. Okay. So there is effort being made to actually spread the talent out and make sure that people have equal access to healthcare, at least to the best of the system's ability. Cause, um, you know, it's obviously, like we said earlier, it's, it's with the big cities having the best opportunity, it's easy for the best professionals and the, and the best minds to sort of cluster. But, um, you know, obviously there is some effort being made by the system to, to sort of spread the knowledge and, and spread the wealth. Um, this, this question, this last question is actually for both of you. Um, I mean, it, either one of you can answer, but um, in terms of the, I guess, shortcomings or the challenges that the healthcare industry faces, I mean, what do you think the main shortcomings are uh, in the actual industry? So in the, in the U.S., I would say the biggest shortcoming is, is going to be the market or I guess like the practice of preventative medicine patient education, and overall health, like optimizing someone's health and being ahead of the ball. That's going to be the, the biggest shortcoming, I believe, probably. And whether that's from a, from a provider side or a patient side, it can be both. But I think largely there's a, a culture of easy access, easy treatment, fast, without regard to any side effects or negative consequences of that. And so the more we can expand the opportunity uh, for people to be aware of their own health, and for providers to provide education and, and measures for people to prevent chronic disease before it happens, uh, that's going to be the biggest, I think, opening for healthcare here. And there's also, you know, many issues that come along with that as well. But got it. All right, guys. Well, we've uh, we've all talked about quite a few subjects uh, in and around the healthcare industry today. We talked about you know the Canadian market and the shortcomings of it, and how much accessibility people actually have to the healthcare system here. Uh, we talked obviously a lot about the U.S. and um, you know in, in terms of 
uh, what people have access to in the U.S., the cost of healthcare in the U.S., and a lot of the uh, sort of misconceptions that even a lot of people individually may have about their own respective, whether it's insurance policies or, or you know, something even as simple as what hospital they need to go to in order to be covered by their insurance. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, interesting tidbits that we've talked about over the course of the conversation. And, uh, and I'm sure there's a lot more that, uh, that we haven't touched on today. I know I certainly learned a lot and, uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys, uh, there's a lot of experience that you guys can draw on, uh, you know, about subjects that I haven't even asked about today, but, um, uh, I appreciate you guys jumping on the podcast for today. Um, it's been really informative, and uh, I hope you guys, you know, in the future, if uh, you know, once you guys do a little bit more work, I'm I'm more than happy to bring you guys back on. We can talk about this some more. Yeah, man. Thanks for having us. I mean, there's if ever you need uh, anything else that you need clarification on, there's just a whole world underneath that the tip of that iceberg that we just talked about. Absolutely. Well. Um, at least for now, Aslan, Max, thank you guys for joining us. It's been great having you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, there you have it, guys. As you can probably tell, there's a lot that goes into the overall conversation about healthcare, how it's structured, the relationships that the different entities have with one another, the accessibility that we as consumers have, and the subtle relationships that a lot of times the average consumer just isn't aware of. So. It's a big topic, uh, healthcare. Both the Canadian and American systems are extremely unique. There's still a lot more left of this conversation that uh, we didn't even talk about just because it is that big of a topic. If there are any details that I missed or if there are any other topics that you think I should have gone a little bit into further detail with or if there are any other questions specifically that I didn't ask, feel free to let me know and pardon my ignorance.